Coming up, he served with me in the Reagan administration. He knows how Ronald Reagan would have handled what's happening today. Jeffrey Lord, contributing editor of The American Spectator. You don't want to miss this. Welcome to another Real American Heroes special edition. I'm Oliver North. Our guest today is a friend, Jeffrey Lord, former CNN contributor, columnist, author. He served as an associate political director at the Reagan White House in his Washington career. He served successfully as a senior aide for a U.S. congressman, a U.S. senator, and was chief of staff for former Reagan administration transportation secretary Drew Lewis. I, I just can't tell you, folks, what this man means to me because he is the guardian of conservative values at the American Spectator. And what you see on the screen right now is a column he just wrote in the Spectator. The title of it is very direct. Jeffrey, you and I both had the opportunity to work with President Reagan. In your column, you describe what happened in 1968 before you and I met in the, in the Johnson White House. Describe that for, because most of the people out there rioting most of the people out there doing decent protesting don't know anything about it because the so-called mainstream media hasn't covered it. Describe what happened when 13,000 American military personnel were deployed to Washington. You know, I was in uh, high school, Ollie, not to date myself, and Dr. Martin Luther King had been leading uh, a march in Memphis, Tennessee, and he went out on a hotel balcony to talk to staff before he went to the next demonstration. And from across the way, a rifle shot ran out and he was killed, assassinated. It took a matter of minutes for this to get around America in the beginning of the communications age and television and the entire city of Washington and not to mention others around the country just erupted in devastating riots that went on and on and on. Well, the president of the day was Lyndon B. Johnson, liberal Democrat, uh, the, the signer of the civil rights legislation and all this thing. He responded on the spot. He sent 13,000 military troops into Washington. I found a description of this uh, in a look back from the Washington Post. They said he did it to, and it's the Post words, not mine, occupy the city of Washington, the District of Columbia. So, I mean, I went through and read all this, and it was all about the terrible things that happened in Washington, D.C. in the aftermath of the assassination. Uh, people were killed. There was rioting, looting. I think 900 businesses were damaged or destroyed. It was unbelievable. So President Johnson responded. Now, to move ahead to today, uh, with all due respect to General Mattis, and I don't know him. I remember being at a White House Christmas party with him in the Trump era but I've never actually met him. And I have the enormous respect for him, as I do for all military folks. But his suggesting here that there's something unusual is just flat out wrong. I mean, President Johnson went to great lengths to restore order. And this misuse of the phrase, I mean, the president used the phrase which the military folks have used about dominating and uh, uh, the, the city is a battle space. That is exactly what President Johnson did. He sent the military in to dominate it. And, you know, there are these graphic photos of U.S. Army personnel on the steps of the U.S. Senate manning machine guns pointed outward. The Capitol building, the White House, surrounded by rifle-bearing members of the U.S. Army. I mean, it truly is an astonishing sight to go back and see. So to suggest that restoring order, which is exactly what the president, President Trump is about, is the same as President Johnson, uh, is unbelievable. And, and I might add, I also mentioned in there 
President Eisenhower sent the military into Little Rock, Arkansas to enforce the desegregation of Central High School. This was, I think, 1957. Uh, I was in the Bush 41 era over at HUD with Secretary Jack Kemp. And the Los Angeles riots in 1992, President Bush sent in the troops to restore order. This is a completely normal thing for a president of the United States to do. He's well within his rights. President Trump was well within his rights. And just with respect to General Mattis, I just feel he's wrong. Well, you and I both worked for Ronald Reagan, but Ronald Reagan, when he was governor out in California, tell tell her, you and I were talking about this before. When he ran for governor of California, violence on college campuses in across the country, but certainly in California, was an issue. He declared his candidacy for governor in uh, January 4th, I think it was, of 1966. And he specifically went out of his way. If, if I can read a little bit from his speech, he said, will we meet, he's talking about the demonstrators here and the administrators of the college, will we meet their neurotic vulgarities with vacillation and weakness? And he went on to pledge that if he were elected governor of California, he wouldn't put up with this. He was elected in a million vote landslide that everybody said was never going to happen. Does this sound familiar? And three years into his term, sure enough, trouble erupts at Berkeley. He sends in at first the California Highway Patrol and local police. The situation gets even worse. Thousands and thousands of protesters start rioting, et cetera. Somebody is hurt, somebody is killed, et cetera. Well, at that, Governor Reagan sends in 2,200 National Guard people to restore order to Berkeley, California, and bans all public meetings for two weeks. <laughs> he didn't fool around, and he got, the, got it done. There's no question in my mind that if President Reagan were in the White House right this minute, he would approve of exactly... Uh, this kind of tactic. He would do it without uh, missing a beat. Jeff, it seems to me that, that, that part of the problem here is the media is so hostile to this president that they're, they're not going to let him appear to be presidential. Now, you and I may disagree about this. I don't think he helps himself a bit with all the tweeting. But, <laughs> he gave, well, but at the launch of the SpaceX rocket, he gave a presentation that I've never seen in the media. I don't know, maybe it was on the, you know, live. I, I didn't see the launch live. But the only place I've seen him quoted in that speech, which is very presidential, is in your column. What's going on with the so-called mainstream media? I have to say, Ali, it is truly amazing to me to see the press. I mean, this latest business at the New York Times where they've dispatched their own op-ed editor for running a perfectly reasonable column, you can agree or disagree, by Senator Tom Cotton on invoking the Insurrection Act. These people are so rapidly, rapidly anti-Trump. They are truly Trump haters, but they also have contempt for what I would call now Trump's America or, in our day, Reagan's America. The, you know, the vast swath of the country between Manhattan and Beverly Hills, they have nothing but utter contempt for people here. And, and, and they make no bones about it. Uh, as you mentioned, I was over at CNN when this began. And it started out, you know, very well. But eventually, as, as uh, candidate Trump began to gain more steam, I began to notice, and I wasn't alone, I would hear from all kinds of people, that I was on these eight to one panels all the time where I'm the only person who was, you know, defending uh, candidate Trump. And over time, this has just morphed into a, a seething 
cauldron of hate. I mean, I, I, so they will distort the news. They will report things that are not true. They will not report, in this case, exactly what the president said. That speech was nothing. And I watched it live on Fox, of course. I don't think it was covered <laughs> elsewhere uh, because they wouldn't do it. Yeah. But I watched it and I thought, well, that is a fabulous speech. That is, if I may, Reagan-esque. And, uh, you yeah. know, it doesn't show up. Well, you cover a lot of that in this new book. I've read it. I admire it. Tell us, our viewers and listeners, about Swamp Wars, Donald Trump and the New American Populism versus the Old Order. Well, the swamp in our day seems to refer to, you know, Washington, D.C. itself. Uh, and, of course, you know, the famous story that the Capitol was built on a swamp, which is only partially true. It's not as much of a swamp as we thought. But nonetheless, it has become a sort of generic reference. And it, and it really means the bureaucracy, the media, the sort of iron triangle there, government, uh, government folks. And in this case, they can't stand Donald Trump. I mean, the day I, I Holly, this just astonished me. I, and I, I went back and checked. The president, President Trump, was sworn in at noon on January seventeenth, January twentieth of twenty seventeen. Literally at twelve nineteen, the Washington Post is publishing a story about impeaching the president, and he only been in office nineteen minutes. Uh, this this tells you what the problem is. Now, my contention is that at this point in time, the swamp has morphed all over the country. You find it in academia. You find it in Hollywood. Sometimes you find it in corporations. You find it in unlikely places like the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball. And, and basically, it's people who think they're smarter than everybody else, that they're morally superior to everybody else, and therefore, they have a right to run the country and all the rest of us have to basically shut up and do what they say. It's a really seriously unhealthy uh, situation, but it is, it is uh, you know, undergirding it is this unbelievable contempt they have for the American people. And, you know, Ali, to, to go back to you for a second, and I think this was an early indication of the swamp. I mean, I was in the White House when you went up to the Hill to testify. And I remember the media of the day, all of the negative comments about what you were going to say, et cetera, et cetera. And by God, you sat there in that uniform, you gave it back to them, and they were astounded that the American people rallied to you. I mean, to me, that's that's a sort of early indication of where this was going. It's now infinitely worse. You don't have to be Colonel North anymore. You can be more or less anybody, and they're coming for you. For sure. Well, it's a great read, and I encourage everybody to go out and get a copy of it, read it, and vote. Now, last question. 50 years from now, my great-grandkids are going to be studying about this extraordinary time, not just the riots, not just the protests, not just the, the uh, atrocious murder of an innocent person lying right. on the ground. They're going to be talking about coronavirus and, and what this country did. It's unprecedented in our lifetimes. I, my last book is about the American Revolution, which we almost lost because of a pandemic called smallpox back in those days. What do you want my great-grandchildren to know about what you, my dear friend Jeffrey, what did you do during this time? That I stood up for principle and wasn't, away, wasn't afraid to say it, whether it was on national television or in tweets or Facebook, uh, the sort of modern media, et cetera, or in book form. I, I, I mean... You know, I grew up when uh, I was in, uh, what, the fourth grade when John F. Kennedy 
was sworn in as president. I remember that day vividly to this day. We lived in Massachusetts. My father was very active in Republican politics, held Calvin Coolidge's old seat on the city council and knew John F. Kennedy, had been to lunch with him in all this when he was senator from Massachusetts. And we watched the thing. Now, that said, my dad was a Nixon guy, right? We watched JFK's inaugural, and I was just blown away. You know, ask not what your country can do for you. You know, ask what you can do for your country. That has stuck with me, and I think my entire generation ever since. So here we are, and I'm standing up for my country. Well done, brother. Jeff, thanks for being with us today and providing facts that our fellow Americans can use in these challenging times. Until then, we're going to continue documenting the history of this never-before crisis with these special coronavirus episodes. If this Real American Heroes special broadcast has been informative, helpful, or encouraging to you, take time to subscribe and let me know how these unprecedented events have affected you and yours. And keep this historical record of how America persevered and once again prospered. Until next time, remember, Semper Fidelis is more than a slogan for U.S. Marines. Always faithful is a way of life. Now, America, press on, press on.